So we're continuing with Jesus' I am statements. And the last one, as I said before, this is my opinion, my understanding. Hopefully it's informed by the Lord. In this one last statement, I am the vine and you are the branches. I believe that Jesus is gathering up everything that he has said about I am and has made, uh, revealed the meaning of it and the significance of it, of all these other I am statements to be gathered up and to be manifested and explained in this one, I am the vine and you are the branches. And so you remember, we've talked a lot about this and I don't want to go back and reiterate but we finally come to the place of the issue, the reason why God has created, beginning in Genesis 1-1, and then why God has created us as stated where? What is God's purpose for us? Genesis 1-26, what does it say? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. In that one statement, God is telling us why we are here. We are here as those in whom his essential glory is manifested as we are declaring in us and through us, the very nature and character of God himself. We are to be his image bearers so that when people see us, when they listen to us, when they are with us, even when we're alone, of course, God is being glorified. The glory of God is being manifested as the fruit of our lives to the extent that we are manifesting the nature and the character of God. Therefore, in order to accomplish this, Genesis 1-1 begins the entire purpose of God. And throughout the entire Old Testament, he is anticipating the fulfillment of this. And then in the New Testament, we see the fulfillment of this God's purpose in one man because all humanity, no matter who we are, cannot in ourselves, by ourselves, because of who we are, we cannot be God's image bearers. We can't be it. And so only one man can be the true, perfect image bearer of God. And who is that? Jesus, remember? So what does Colossians 1.15 say? Do you remember that? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's an important statement. So as the fruit of our lives, as that which is produced in us, in our character and in our activities, ministry, let's say, to the extent that in us is being revealed the image of God, the image of God, who is the Lord Jesus himself. To that extent, 
that our lives are manifesting the fruit of the very life, person, and ministry of Jesus. God is glorified. Now, that's very significant to know because, unfortunately, too often what happens in churches is that the emphasis is put on what we must do to please God rather than what God is doing in us, through us, by the power of his spirit to manifest and produce his pleasure. Do we see the difference? You know, I've done a little reading about this, and it's just interesting to me. I suppose the word interesting isn't what I really want to say. How author after author, not all, but so many, when they talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the emphasis is what we need to do, what has to happen, what we have, where we have to go, how we have to be, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that's correct in one sense. But if we leave out the behind-the-scenes understanding that what we are doing what we are thinking, how we are acting. Behind this curtain is this. There is the Holy Spirit who in us is producing or desires to produce these thoughts, these actions. You see it, this ministry. And so the fruit of the Spirit is the manifestation of what God is doing us. So as the fruit of my life, the fruit of your life, is manifesting or being manifested as the fruit of the Spirit. Remember in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it is listed as the character of love. For fruit of the Spirit is love. Then the next eight words describe the fruit of the Spirit in three different categories, which we won't go into today. But the fruit of the Spirit is also manifested not only in my character, but in my deeds called the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so the ministry of the Spirit is, is listed in many particular places in the New Testament. Now, some will say, well, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14, you know, the power gifts the gift of healing, the gift of speaking in tongues. Well, yes, it is, but those are not all the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They are listed in several other places. So what we need to make sure is this, that the fruit of the Spirit is manifested in the ministry of the Spirit. Uh, the fruit of our lives is manifested as the fruit of the Spirit in our character and in our ministry so that when people see us and hear us, whom are they really seeing and hearing? The Lord Jesus himself by the Spirit. So, remember in 1 John 2, 6, John gives you this command. Walk in the same way that Jesus walked. Now, that's a challenge, isn't it? Now, how can we do that? How did Jesus walk? How was Jesus able to manifest the glory of God in his life. How was he able to do that? 
Do you remember? When he went into the wilderness, how did he go into the wilderness? Remember in Luke chapter 4, he was what? Led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Then in verse 14, he came out of this, the wilderness, what? Full of the Holy Spirit. You remember that? You remember at the baptism of John, Jesus was, what? Anointed by the Spirit. So everything Jesus did, he did by the Spirit, which that's what I want to talk a little bit about tomorrow. But, I mean, next week, but today. I want to ask this question. Exactly what is it about the fruit in our lives that manifests the glory of God? When we are experiencing the goodness of God in us, in me, or through another person, what are we experiencing about God? When we are with another believer, and we see the patience of Jesus being manifested in that belief. You notice I just didn't say when Joe is patient. I didn't say when Wendy is kind. I said when Joe or Wendy or any of us manifest the patience of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, that's the fruit of the Spirit. So there's Anne. She's back with us right now. I'm introducing y'all as visitors this morning. When we experience this, how many of you have experienced the fruit of the Spirit, the life of Jesus and other believers? How many of you have? Really, raise your hand. If you've ever experienced, you know that was God, Jody. You know that that person didn't you know, communicate that to you. You knew it was in that purpose. Something very deep was going on. You recognize, you experience in that person's character, in his actions, in her relationship with you. You knew this is God. Didn't you have that experience? Have you had it? How many of us have sensed that? How many of us in ourselves have experienced the joy of knowing God, the peace of God, God's peace. How many of us have experienced the kindness of God to us? How many of us have experienced the gentleness of God, especially in the midst of our sinning? How does the Holy Spirit treat us? Certainly with correction. But first of all and foremost, he gives us the assurance of care and safety. You see, Linda Green, when you sin and the Holy Spirit convicts you of that sin, What if it's the Holy Spirit, what you're going to be experiencing is not a sense of condemnation. Now, stay with me. Not a sense of condemnation. 
You've been caught in a sin. The Holy Spirit has just said. Patrick, that's wrong. What you just said was not from me. Cody, your attitude was not of God. See, Jason, the way you were going, you should not have gone. It's not of me. We've all experienced this, haven't we? Amen or not? Yes. It's okay to say amen. We, we know that's the way it is. And when you have experienced this, and you heard that word called conviction, not condemnation, conviction, how did you, what was the context, the atmosphere, the spiritual atmosphere in which you experienced conviction? Did you feel condemned and you're going to be cast out from the presence of God forever? Hmm? Can you answer me today? It's okay to answer. If the teacher asks the question, you may answer. Gordon, did you feel that you're going to go to hell because of that? Not necessarily. Hopefully you felt this, that that conviction came to you within the context of care and safety. Does that make sense to you? Care and safety. You experience, hopefully, the loving embrace of a heavenly father who says to you, son, my daughter, I love you. And I want to let you know that what you've just done or said was not pleasing to me. That's how God is, isn't he? Can anybody affirm that? Because the only reason we can repent in safety, confidently, is to know that our agreement with God that this is sin and a desire to have that sin dealt with in a way that our minds are changed by the Holy Spirit as not to commit that sin any longer. The only way that can happen is with the context of safety and care and love, okay? So the question is this. When we are experiencing in ourselves or from others these, this character of God, when we pray for something, when we minister to someone, whatever it is, what specifically about God is being manifested? What is it about this fruit that declares the glory of God? What is the glory of God in this context? Well, you remember the word parachoresis? I think I have this in your notes. Do you remember that? Do you remember what, how many of you, if I would ask you, take out a pencil and paper or a pen and paper. Remember those days? We would be going along and teaching grammar in the class. Oh, we were having a wonderful time talking about run-on sentences and comma splices. I mean, it was just incredible, the joy. 
of these students. And in the middle of it, sometimes I'd say, oh, girls. It was an all-girls high school. I forgot to let you know something. What, Mr. Davidson? Let's have a pop test. Ah! I would do that because I never wanted them to wait until an exam to study. I wanted them to not know any day from the next, whether what we talked about the day before or two weeks ago before that they could forget it and cram the night before the final exam. That wasn't going to happen in my class because you ain't going to learn nothing that way. I was a great teacher, you can tell. And so I'd say, take out a pen and paper, pencil maybe, whatever it was in those days. How many of you could write out some kind of decent description of perichoresis without looking at your notes? How many of you think you could? Now, remember, we spent, what, two Sundays talking about perichoresis, didn't we? You see what happens. Someone says, well, why do you repeat so much? Point taken. Perichoresis is a Greek term, a theological term not found in the Bible, which basically describes the mutual indwelling of the three persons of the Trinity. Now, why is that a consideration? Where did that thought even come from? You remember, especially in the Gospel of John, what does Jesus say? I am, I am what? In the Father, and the Father is in me. You remember that? I am the vine, and you are the branches. Abide in me, and I abide in you. You remember that word, in? And so, those various statements of Jesus is saying this. Jesus has come to declare the absolute uniqueness of God in this, that God is one in his being, right? Remember, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6, 4. But in the, or as the one being of God, he exists, what? As three distinct, equal, divine persons simultaneously. Each person of the Godhead fully, eternally, simultaneously, equally possessing all the attributes of the divine. You remember that? Remember we've talked about the Trinity? Some of you may or should be remembering these things. That doesn't mean that we have three divine persons standing on stage and one does this and the other does that, and it's your turn. Okay, I'll do it this time, Pharaoh. This will be my lead. You just sit down. No, 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 Steve. This, I want Steve. It isn't that way. It's all, already unique enough that we have a trinity. But how do these three divine persons relate to one another? They relate 
by, and this is a mystery, by indwelling one another. Now, what does that mean? I mean, Michael, can you explain? How, what does it mean to indwell one another? It's tough. But what we need to know is not how to explicitly describe it, but to understand that in some mysterious way that we on this side of heaven do not know, and perhaps on the other side of heaven we will begin to experience. These three persons, divine persons, co-inhere, live in a way that they are mutually in one another. So that, and here it is, when you experience the work of one of these persons of God, you are simultaneously experiencing the work or the ministry of the other two persons of God. Perichoresis, this mutual indwelling means <clears throat> that always the entire Trinity is involved in everything that any one of the persons of God do. That's an incredible revelation. And Jacob, that was a brand new thing. First of all, the Trinity itself was, wow, what are you telling us? But then to say, how does it happen that, Joseph, when God does something in you, when Joseph Zaringer, raise your hand, Joseph, so they'll know who you are. Okay, this is Joseph. When Joseph Zaringer experiences, now you hang on to this for yourself, Rosa. When Joseph Zaringer experiences the joy of knowing Jesus, What is he experiencing? Because here's where we get it all, get wrong on, as Christians, get off the track a little bit. We believe he is experiencing the joy of Jesus alone. What is he experiencing? He experiencing the joy of the entire Godhead in himself. When I am experiencing the kindness of God, I am experiencing simultaneously the kindness of God the Father for choosing us in Christ. I am experiencing the kindness of the Son of God for redeeming us in his blood. I am experiencing the kindness of the Holy Spirit as the Arabon or the down payment who seals us. Now, what set of verses that I just explained cryptically? Ec sorry. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. When we experience anything from God, whether in ourselves, through ourselves, or in others, What are we experiencing? And I'm hoping, I, I, I believe it's the Holy Spirit, wanting us to be cognitively aware. You know, that right in the front of your brain, I, I, I see this. 
and make sure that every time you remind yourself of this, anything I experience of God, what word did I just say? Say it again. Anything and everything that I experience from God, no matter did it come through this person, that person, did it come from inside, it doesn't matter. I am experiencing the simultaneous, equal, full fellowship and activity of all three persons of the Trinity. Now, let's be honest. How many of us have really thought of that and, and that's what we always do? It's very rare. Pentecostals will say, it's the Holy Spirit. Yes, you're right. Others will say, it's Jesus. You're right. Somebody else will say, no, it's the Father. Dane, you're right. So which one is it? Yes. That's the answer. What's the answer? Which one, which person is it, Steve, that you're experiencing? Yes. Yes, it is. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, is perhaps the most succinct description of how God has given us the gospel. Now, notice I didn't say it is the gospel. What is the gospel? Come on, y'all know that. What is the gospel? Second Corinthians four four. Paul is speaking about in whose case the unbelievers, they may not the unbelievers may not see the God of this world has blinded their minds. They may not see what? The light of the gospel. So, Charlie, the light of the gospel. But what's the gospel? So when someone asks you, what is the gospel, Anton? They may not see the light of the gospel of, remember that prepositional phrase, what? Of what? The glory of Christ, who is the image, Genesis 1.26, of God. So what is the gospel this morning? It's the glory of the Son of God in us. And in that glory is the glory of God the Father who has sent the Son to save us, whose salvation is now applied to us by the Holy Spirit, all three persons of the Trinity. So when we are experiencing in us and manifesting or expressing in us the fruit of the Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what is happening is God is being glorified. God is being manifested as the full, the fullness of all the members of the Trinity together, simultaneously and equally being manifested in this. So in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, we had the Father's work of what? He chose us in Christ, right? Dot, 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 before what? The foundation of the world, the work of the Father. Then from 
7 to 12, we talk about the work of the Son, that we have redemption through his blood. There's more said, but that's the essence of it. And then verses 13 and 14, the Holy Spirit is the Arabon, the down payment. It's a 10%. It's a tithe. It's a tithe. The Arabon who seals us into this salvation. Another way of looking at it is this. When we are expressing and experiencing the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us, we are experiencing what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Remember that blessing? I think that's one of the most extraordinary blessings and statements of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. That's just me. I'm thinking that way, but I think it's God. Does somebody remember what 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says? Now, when the teacher spends that much time on something, what should the students be doing? Taking the notes because it's going to be where? On the final. This is going to be on the final. You know, I used to tell the students, I see, you're not taking notes, Jen. I see that. Then I would say, look, remember, this is going to be on the final. All of a sudden, you're writing all over the place. What does 2 Corinthians 13, 14 say? It's a benediction. Somebody read it. I can't see it. Do it loudly. Read it loudly. Be bold. Stop. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. What person of the Trinity is that? That's God the Son. The next one. The love of God the Father. Now, let's stop here a second. The grace of the Lord Jesus, that's the incarnation of the Son of God to become one with us as our representative and as our substitute to pay for our sins at the cross so that in him and because of his death, our sins have been forgiven by the Father, right? That's the grace of God. And the grace of the Lord Jesus is as a result of the love of the Father. Do we see it? And how does the love of the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, how is it manifested? How does it come to us? Read the last part. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit or communion of the Holy Spirit. Be with you all. Do you see it? That statement, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, is a perichoresis statement that in this God, we have three distinct divine persons operating, if you would, or roles through their roles or functioning in such a way that when any of us experience anything of the Father or of the Son or of the Holy Spirit, we're experiencing the entire Trinity at one time. I want to encourage us, first of all, to be more and more aware regularly and daily of the very presence and work of God. I talked to a person the other day, 
And I said something about hearing the voice of God. And he's, and he's a believer for several years. This isn't like someone's born yesterday. And he says, I don't think I've ever heard the voice of God. I said, well, have you ever talked to someone just chit-chatting? AJ will know what I mean by this. He's just hanging out with someone, just talking to someone. Remember that story? AJ's just sharing, you know, like AJ likes to do. And all of a sudden, what did you find yourself saying? Well, I'm not sure what, which one of the stories you're talking about. <laughs> you found yourself sharing what? The gospel. Yeah. All of a sudden, out of the man's mouth flows all this stuff. During the day, you get a thought, an impression. Do this. Don't do that. Go here. Stay away from uh, the, are you, how many of you? <clears throat> am I talking to somebody who's experienced this before? Phyllis, have you ever experienced these things? Whose voice is this? Satan's? I'm talking about for good things. Okay, you understand. Whose voice is that? Somebody dared to say who is it whose it is. It's the yeah, but is the specifically the Holy Spirit. And he says, I've never thought of that. Let me say something to you that's going to be shocking. God has more words and speaks more than I do. Now think about that. God is chatting. The Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to us in our minds and our thoughts and in our impressions. We need to be aware of this. And as we experience this, let me encourage you to acknowledge it by saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Because we need to increase. But when I experienced that, what A.J. was experiencing that on that day or those days, he was experiencing the ministry of which person of the Trinity? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's where the glory of God is, how the glory of God is manifested, okay? The fruit of our lives. This is the quintessential purpose of God for creating us and for saving us. Do we understand this better? In this way, we are those in whom Genesis 1.26 is being fulfilled. We must always go back there. And so lest we think that this fruit is something later. Remember in Genesis 1.26 and then in 1.28, what does the word say? And God, remember in 27, he, he created them. Remember that? Male and female. Then in 28, he says, and God blessed them and said, what? What's the first word out of his, after he blessed them, what did he say? What's the first command? Be what? Fruitful. And multiply. And fill the earth, subduing it. Remember that? Be fruitful. Now, as I was reading, and I was sharing with Gene the other day, so look up to be fruitful. 
and how the emphasis is this, have kids. So in that respect, right here between these two families, what do we have, 52 kids in these two families? How many kids do you have? Six. Six. How many do you have? Five. We have 11 kids right here. So are they fulfilling, be fruitful? Yes. But the emphasis is not on kids. That's a method or a means of being fruitful in what way? Bearing the fruit of the manifestation of the Trinity. That's what that's about. And how is it physically happening? Have kids. Populate the world. Preach the gospel. Correct? Right in the beginning, I'm creating you to be my image bearers. I'm blessing you with my presence. And here's what I want. Fruitfulness. First and foremost, be my image bearers. And how to fill the earth? Go out and populate the thing. Okay? We, we, ha- we see that. This is the single most important issue of our lives. This is how God is manifested. This is how he's glorified. Obedience to him. So next week, I think, will be the last Sunday, that, uh, last lesson that we'll spend on this particular um, uh, parable or this statement, I am statement of Jesus. And, and very probably then the week after next, we want to get together for one of our fellowship breakfasts. And I sincerely, we've had so many missing because we have the alpha class with takes of others and so on. And some haven't either. I don't know why. But anyway, want you all to come when we have breakfast together. Food. New Orleans. See you next week.